Okay, First John. First John, we're going to be in chapter 2. First John chapter 2. By there? Alright, we're going to start reading in verse 1. And we'll read down to verse 14. Verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate. And the Father, Jesus Christ, excuse me, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So again, a little bit of review. We started off a couple lessons now in 1 John and we're kind of seeing John writing a letter to what many think is probably one of uh, the churches that he used to pastor in the Ephesus area. And if not, maybe even a group of churches in that area. He's kind of trying to, what, what he found is he went up there, he taught and preached in some churches and then he left and very quickly in this area there was a great Roman influence. So these churches very quickly started having this this false teachings and these false doctrines coming in. Um, even in the first century these new Christian churches um, fought the same battles we fight today. Um, it's it's uh, unfortunately um, not uncommon to see churches fight these outward and, so, and in these cases, inward battles, which is very unfortunate to see. Um, so John's trying to uh, combat these 
false doctrines that have infiltrated the church. And we talked about some what some of those doctrines were, Gnosticism, this thought that you had to have this, this uh, greater knowledge uh, which thus enlightened you, which then made you closer to God in that way. And the thoughts that, you know, matter in and of itself is evil. So you as a, as a creature, you're evil. You can't do anything about it. So if you live in sin, you know, that's just who you are. Which gives um, people kind of this... this uh, this freedom in their in their minds that well if if matter's evil and I'm evil, yeah I believe in God I believe in Jesus I believe He did all these things but if matter's evil then there's nothing I can do to keep from sinning, and this was in, infiltrating the church and John's saying no, no that's that's not right, and he, there's all this other view that well. Um, you know, I'm very spiritual. I know this this enlightenment, so I can't sin. So they put this undue pressure on themselves that if they did sin, which everybody does, right? When they did sin, they felt like they lost their salvation because of that. So they, we have these spectrums that were going on, and John comes along and says, "Wait a second, it's not that hard. <laughs> You're making it really hard on yourselves, and it's actually very simple." Remember. Uh, even in chapter 1, he begins and he's talking to these uh, these Christians and he uses that phrase, my little children, which is kind of a term of endearment, if you will. He's kind of saying, listen, children, it's, it's not that hard. <laughs> if, you know, the, 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 the faith is, it, and the, the Christian way, it's, it's not complicated. You're putting more pressure on yourselves than you need to be doing. So we talked about that a little bit in chapter 1. Now in chapter 2, he's going to be going through a set of just basic rules for Christians to live by. Just some very basic rules, which follows along with what he told us in chapter 1. He's saying it's not that hard. Just follow these very simple these very simple rules. And I'm sitting here this morning, and I was looking around the room at simple rules. Well, there's plenty of them in here, isn't there? I was reading the morning routine. Turn in your homework. Say hello to your classmates. Well, that's pretty simple. You know? Start your morning work. End the day. Get your mail. I bet they don't get no bills in their mail. Maybe they do. I don't know. I get plenty. Clean up around your area. I still haven't figured that one out. And I got, you know, I'm going to mention this because it bugs Mark and I. Anybody see anything wrong with this list of, of vowels? The wrong order. Uh, right, I don't know. I don't get it. I-E-U-E-A-O? That don't even sound right. I don't know. And it's consistent with this. I-U-E. What they teach kids? I'm going to have to get with Pastor on this. It's just not right. It's. I was going to cut this in strips and reorganize it. <laughs> I don't think uh, Shelly'd like that. I don't think, but but you know, sometimes rules aren't complicated, are they? And they're good for us. Uh, you see the sign over there by Stacy. It says, "When you're at the rug, sit here, uh, uh, mouth closed, ears open." That's a pretty good rule, most times, right? Legs crossed, hands in your lap. And I love the one of these. It just says, "Share." 
share. Um, but over where we live, of course, um, the schools had that property, and there's that one house on the property that hadn't wanted to sell to the school. It's quite the drama thing in, in town. And I love all the Facebook posts that were out there. One post would come from a kindergarten teacher, and it said to the school system, he, and it said something along these lines. It said, you know, uh, if as a school teacher with young kids, um, there's rules they need to follow, and evidently you as the school system haven't understood those basic rules. And one of the basic rules we teach kids is share. It's not your turn. And she said, school system, it's not your turn. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was perfect. You know, simple rules to follow. And John's going to give us some of these simple rules. We're going to just talk about two of them today. So over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll kind of expound on this. So verse 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. He starts right there. He said, you know, if you sin not, don't, don't sin. So what's the, the basic rule there is don't mess with stuff that gets you in trouble. Right? Don't sin. Don't get put in a position where you're going to be tempted to sin. That's a very basic rule. But man, there's a lot of truth there. A lot of truth there. John had just in chapter 1 said this in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He's saying, listen, you're, you're a fallen creature. You're going to, you know, there's going to, you're not, you haven't arrived. You're going to have sin in your life. The, the challenge is, is to, to not sin, though. Don't use that as an excuse to sin. He says that sin is real, that a believer can fall into sin, so we are not to think that we can't sin just because we chose to be Christians. And, and there were some people in that church that felt like, well, if I'm going to be a true Christian, I can't sin. We'll expound on that. Having said that, he doesn't want Christians to be denying or rationalizing their sin either. There were some that were taking the totally opposite approach. Well, I know I'm fallen. I know I'm I'm evil. So even though I'm a Christian, I'm going to sin. So pff, why fight it? Well, neither one of those approaches are... I like how Pastor always says it. You know, why do we always live in the extremes, Right? John wants to warn the readers against sinning in the many ways that sinning is possible, including a denial of sin. If you deny sin, if you say sin cannot be in my life, well, the Bible teaches otherwise. So if you're saying, I'll never sin, you're actually sinning because you're going against Scripture, right? John here wants to lay to rest the notion that sin is to be part of a daily life of the believer the same way it is for the unbeliever. So, I mean, if, if you have that mentality that, well, I'm, I'm evil, I'm fallen, I'm going to sin, so why not just sin? But I'm a Christian, well, I want to check yourself because your life should be totally, should be different than an unbeliever who daily is sinning. And I saw it put this way. It is error to say, that a believer is not able to sin. 
It's an incorrect statement to say a believer is not able to sin. But it is true to say that a believer, excuse me, that a believer is able not to sin. A believer is able not to sin. You have that the Holy Spirit in you now that kind of can prick your heart and say, you know what, don't go there. Or if you do sin, you should be convicted of it, right? And should then repent. A life marked by sin cannot be Christian. Now, again, let's not take that to the extremes. But if if you're constantly in a life of sin and live in a life of sin, and then you claim the name of Christianity... Those two really don't go hand in hand. If the Holy Spirit's not working in you at all, then what's going on there? John says in verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, what? That ye sin not. While it is impossible for any of us not to sin, we should not place ourselves in areas where sin is possible. Is that not true? which, as I was teaching this, immediately my mind went to our doctrine of separation. Uh, which, you know, is we're not ashamed to teach it. I've taught it several times in classes. If you look online and with different churches, they get a little nervous in, in teaching that doctrine of separation. Because why? Some churches have taken it way too far. Um, again, we're back to that extremes thing. But the doctrine of separation, it, 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 it's, it's biblical. 2 Corinthians 6.14 excuse me, 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Amos 3.3 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? There's a lot out there on doctrine of separation and different churches and how far or how little different churches take it. I found one writer online that put it this way. It is vital in this confusing day when the compromise of God's word is rampant that God's people, preachers, and churches know and practice biblical separation. It is critical The Christians who equally have the calling and responsibility to be a testimony to the gospel, preach the whole counsel of God's word, understand separation as presented in God's word. It has been rightly stated that often the doctrine of biblical separation is ignored at one end of the spectrum and used as a battle axe at the other. Um... Again, I've heard pastors say this often, you know, uh, fundamental independent Baptists, we sometimes get a bad rap for being overly uh, legalistic. Um, and I, and this is in one area that you can see some churches take the doctrine of biblical separation and really use it in a, uh, not in a biblical way at all. The doctrine of separation needs to be studied with as much attention and scholarship as any other doctrine of God's Word. To do less is to place ourselves in the hands of the one who is the benefactor of all false doctrine, the devil himself. Any doctrine can be twisted, right? I mean, but, you know, you don't... 
there's a fear now. I think nowadays, even uh, uh, particularly, we have this mentality um, that separation only kind of leaves out people and doesn't include people. So we got to be inclusive. Oh my gosh, uh, you know, being an HR manager now, I get emails. Oh, daily on diversity and inclusion topics and I'm not against it in 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 a practical sense not against diversity I'm not against inclusion but wow we use it kind of as a battle axe now and it's coming to our churches again please don't take this further than it needs to go I'm not saying we shouldn't be diverse I'm not saying we shouldn't include people but we shouldn't do so in a way that, that uh, um, minimizes our doctrine, that, that, that twists our doctrine, that, that brings in folks that would cause problems within the church. We just had a uh, Discovering Church membership class. What was it last Monday, I think? I saw the, the attendance for that. It was great. It was like 12 uh, different couples who was going to attend. That's an awesome class, and I love, that was one of the classes Cindy and I really enjoyed when we first started coming out here, because I didn't really know what fundamental independent meant. I grew up Southern Baptist. I don't Fundamental independent, never heard of it. So, went to the class, learned about it. And for us, it was like, well, that makes perfect sense. Seems it's backed up by scripture. I see nothing wrong there. And for others, comes to class and goes, eh, Appreciate you being up front and honest with us about what your doctrine is, but don't think it's for us. Great. You know, uh, go somewhere where you'll be happy. <laughs> you know, lest we have folks that join the church and then want to change us, right? Based off what their practice is. Um, biblical separation is a foundational doctrine for us. Uh, there's nothing... And John uh, is telling us right here, uh, I write unto you that ye sin not. Don't put yourself in places where you're going to be tempted to sin. It's that simple. Man, around here, there's a casino on every corner, right? It's not someplace I go. I've mentioned that. I, I I would expect that probably to be consistent with most in this room. Uh, the well, we have a, a local establishment just right down the street from the church here, uh, one of the county bars, right? I think they're still open. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I'm in bed when it gets dark. Mama said nothing happens good after dark, so I go to sleep. And as a police officer for 20 years and firefighter, I tell you, nothing good happens after dark, right? Um, that's not someplace... I feel even remotely interested in going into, right? I think one if one of us was to walk into an establishment like that, we would feel out of place from the moment you walk in the door, and you should, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned it when we went to the motorcycle funeral. I felt out of place the moment I walked in the door. I should have. It shouldn't have felt normal. And that's just that biblical separation playing itself out um you'll know when you go someplace that you're not comfortable in being right um that's good that's the holy spirit working in you you should know you know what i'm the holy spirit is sensitive 
in my heart. So, you know, don't get complacent in that. But you're you're in the right spot. You're in the right spot. So that's what John says. First of all, is uh, not to sin. And then he says in verse one, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what's rule number two? Rule number one was. I already forgot what rule number one was. Don't mess with stuff that gets you in trouble, right? Rule number two, when you foul things up, remember you have someone who is in your corner. Because you're going to foul things up. Some of us more than others sometimes. But you're going to foul things up. And John even acknowledges that. And if any man sin. You think the if actually means if in the sense of you might not. No, he's saying when you do. (laughs) When you sin, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. When that happens, you're not helpless. You have an advocate, a powerful counsel for your defense. Now, this immediately goes into a thought of kind of a courtroom drama, if you will. And I like to use my imagination on these kind of things. And I read a lot. Different different authors use similar uh, imagery like this. But you have kind of uh, Satan accusing you of things with the Father, right? Did with Job. Now, does Satan have to make stuff up when he does that? Does he got to lie about you? No. Trust me, there's plenty of truth he can use <laughs> that convicts you, right? Because just one thing convicts you in the sight of God, right? And here's Satan accusing you and saying, here's what my uh, your brother did, brother Randy did, you know. And God's like, yeah, well, he's convicted, right? Well, you know, I have an advocate, right? As a Christian, I have an advocate. Jesus stands at that ready. And he stands up. What's he say? Under the blood, yep. But he says, you know what? Uh, you know, think of a defense counsel nowadays. Boy, I love those courtroom dramas. You know, wait for the defense counsel to stand up. You know, and he's, Jesus stands up and he says, you know what? He's accused of this, this, and this. And you know what? He did it all. Did it all. As accused we stipulate right now that all of that is true. And you know what? We ain't got no justification for it. There's no rationale, no excuse, just guilty. And we stipulate also that full punishment should be instituted. That everything accused of him, that he should be put to death for. Because isn't that what the punishment is for sin is death and separation from God so Jesus says you know what full punishment should be instituted now most courtroom dramas on TV nowadays when the defense stands up is that kind of how it goes oh no they come up with all kinds of reasons well you know he did it because you know, he had a tough childhood you know there's a story maybe mama didn't you know uh, love you enough or daddy didn't love you enough. They're, everybody's got reasons nowadays, don't they? I, I heard a 
uh, read something or heard something one day, and I said, you know, what they want to see on one of these talk shows is somebody stand up and go, you know what, I'm this, I'm that, and I've done these things, and I did it because I'm a bad person, not because of my family. (laughs) Because everybody wants to blame somebody nowadays. And Jesus is saying, you know what, all of that is true, and we have no excuses, and we should take full punishment. But I've done paid that price. I've done paid the price. The payment's been made. Release him. And God goes, you know what? It's true. It's true. The payment's been made. So all the accusations that can be made, you have that advocate. Now that word advocate, is we've, we studied that word advocate before when we studied the Gospel of John. Remember when John uh, talked about the Holy Spirit being uh, sent to be an advocate for you? It's the same uh, word that parakletos, parakletos that we talked about uh, many months ago when we talked about the word advocate. Jesus is saying, release him. Now, a true defense attorney, as we understand the term, defends his client's innocence. Is that what's happening for us now? No, he's not defending our innocence. Our guilt's there. We're guilty. Our Savior comes to our aid as we acknowledge the guilt. When we kind of come to that place that we acknowledge that guilt and Satan has that accusation made against us, you have, we have that advocate going, you know what, payment's been made. You know, by the blood, right? By the blood. And then we go to verse 2. John continues and he says, And he is the, he being Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Time's going pretty quick this morning, so, but I want to hit this point because I thought it was pretty neat. In the first half of the verse, he said, And he is the propitiation for our sins. Christ is able to stand as our advocate, which we acknowledge, but why is he able to stand in that, in that role? Well, John says, because he is the propitiation for our sins. What's propitiation mean? Well, it's defined as an offering that turns away or satisfies divine wrath against us. So propitiation was Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, which satisfied the demands of God's justice, thus appeasing his holy wrath against believers' sins. Now, I find this stuff interesting, and, and, and after, when studying this point and um, reading, I uncovered this, this truth. It says, what is that word propitiation? Well, um, it's the word helaskomai. I'm sure I'm uh, pronouncing that wrong, okay? But it means to expiate or make propitiation for or to make satisfaction for. A tense of that same word refers to a sacrifice or atonement required to placate God's wrath. So we see that word being the term used for propitiation. Okay? Very quickly, flip over to Exodus 25. Verse 
verse 10. Exodus 25, verse 10. The Bible says, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half, shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four wings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And the two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. So we're seeing a description of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Right? How to build this ark. Go down to verse 17. Thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. Thou shalt make two cherubim of gold of beaten work. Shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubim of the two gold uh, two ends thereof now we see a description of what the mercy seat the top of the ark is right what was the purpose of the top of that ark well in Leviticus it tells us you don't have to flip over there Leviticus 16.15 the Bible says then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring the blood within the veil and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, because of their transgressions and all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. So we see the description was, in the Old Testament, was we had these these animals which were sacrificed for a sin offering and then they would take the blood and sprinkle it on that mercy seat. Now if you look at the original language here the term for mercy seat is the exact same term used in the New Testament for propitiation. For propitiation which again is that that, that satisfaction of God's wrath through an atonement through a sacrifice. So we see that picture consistent in the Old Testament. So we as sinners continually shatter God's perfect law and he as, and he as the righteously offended creator must react justly in in anger, wrath and judgment. We got to satisfy that somehow. And God in the Old Testament had a system of sacrifices for that. New Testament came along, and we God said, "You know what? I'm, I, it never really satisfied me. This blood from animals. So we're going to set up a, a, a new covenant, and we had Jesus come from heaven as a man, die a perfect, sinless life, and He, as the Lamb without blemish, sinless, the perfect sacrifice, then satisfied that that atonement for us." And then in verse 2 of, of, of 1 John, the second half, it said, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I don't have a lot of time to really uh, break this down, but a lot of folks who, you know, even those that I use often when I'm studying, who can get into uh, doctrine of election, 
uh, will say, well, no, that atonement is actually limited. It's a limited atonement. It's, it, even though he says for the sins of the whole world, uh, he's saying for the sins of those that were chosen by God. Um, that goes down a very dangerous road. Um, we see it as it's not a limited atonement, it's an unlimited atonement. Because it's very clear, isn't it? For the sins of the whole world. Nobody's left out of that opportunity. I said earlier when I was praying and, and I heard it and I thought it was a, a, a neat, uh, when we were uh, in South Carolina, the preacher, he said, you know, we're all going to make a choice today, right? Either to accept or reject. But we're all making a choice. Everybody has the opportunity through that unlimited atonement. Christ, it's available to everybody, not just the, the elect as some see it. Um, and that's just a misinterpretation of Scripture from, from the onset. So as we continue um, next week and the week after, we'll look at a few of the other basic rules that John's laying out. First John is a great book in that it's written to, to a church family who's seen these things come in and start attacking the church from within. What did we say a couple of weeks ago? Many churches decline from within, not from without. And he's saying, you know what, it's not hard, it's not complicated. You just need to follow a few basic rules, which being a part of any group, <laughs> there's rules you got to follow, right? So, Ken, you want to release us in prayer, and then we'll go to services? Father, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you so much for Sundays when we can come together believers and, and meet and fellowship with one another and then open your word and learn truths. And Lord, I'm so thankful that our Bibles in our laps right now are so full of wonderful, beautiful truths. We've seen a truth today. God, we've seen today that you love us enough that you have court appointed the best attorney in our defense who has paid the price. And all we have to do is just accept it. And Lord, we we do sin. It is when, and sometimes it's often, but you have pro provided us a propitiation for that sin. And gosh, that's just a beautiful truth, Lord. And we thank you for that. Lord, now as we get ready to go to the worship service, I ask that you just meet with us and and um, prepare the minds of our hearts to listen and, and pay attention to the message that's being taught today, Lord, and that we will make decisions to apply those truths to our lives today that we can honor you and make you happy, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you next week. Amen.